How many know what happened on January 1st, 1863? Anybody? Historians? It was the day that Abraham Lincoln declared the Emancipation Proclamation, where in our country, slavery was outlawed. They would no longer have the ability to own and enslave somebody against their will or or own slaves. And if you read about it, in the South, there had been people who had been slaves all their lives, generations, that when somebody told them that, hey, you're free, you're no longer a slave. There's one recorded incident where one of the former slaves said, I don't know anything about that, and just continued to be a slave and to have that mentality. If you think about the, the Hebrew people in the book of Exodus, when they were enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years, when God raises up Moses to de- deliver them out of slavery, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years still with a slave mentality, not trusting God. And they even said it'd be better for us to go back to Egypt at a couple point in times to, to be slaves. Like, that's a, a strange mentality for us looking back. But if we were in their shoes and that's all you knew, maybe we would think the same thing. So I think they serve as examples. And for you and I, Jesus has purchased our freedom, spiritually speaking, that we are walking in freedom. Do we know that? Do we realize all that he has done from us, that we are free from shame, we are free from guilt, we can be free from habits and doubts because of what Jesus did for us. We're doing a series called Whosoever Believes, and we're looking kind of a taking out the mining for the chief verses in each letter from Romans to Revelation. So that's, we started in Romans and we're going to go all the way to Revelation. And today we're going to look at the book of Galatians. Galatians was a, a, the the letter is written to a group of churches in the region of Galatia. And that, if you looked at a map today, would be in modern day Turkey. The upper region of modern day Turkey is where these churches were. And just a quick background, in Acts chapter 15, we find something called the Jerusalem Council. And the Jerusalem Council was as the gospel was spreading through the apostles, in particularly the apostle Paul, they were seeing non-Jewish people coming to Jesus and becoming followers of Jesus and starting churches. That it wasn't just for the Jewish people. Jesus just wasn't the Jewish Messiah. He was the Messiah for the entire world. And what happened was some of the Jewish believers called, they called them the Judaizers, When Paul would preach the pure, undiluted gospel of what Jesus did, they would come in behind Paul after he left, and they would would be like, is he gone? Okay, good. Here, we're going to give you the real truth. Yes, it's Jesus, but you also have to become Jewish. You have to practice the law of Moses and obey the law of Moses. And in the Jerusalem Council, they got together, and it was the early leaders of the church, and they're like, what do we do about this problem? Because people are coming in behind us that are preaching the undiluted gospel and saying that they have to become Jewish. And so they came up with a very small criteria of what they were going to ask of these churches that Paul had started. And it was, it was really simple stuff that led to, to freedom. Freedom. 
And so this is exactly what happened in the book of Galatians in the entirety, when you read that book of what Paul is addressing to, to these churches. The book of Galatians teaches that true spiritual freedom comes from knowing and believing that Jesus is Lord and Savior, that that's where true freedom comes from. Um, a key verse in the book of Galatians that kind of summarizes it is in chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Pretty strong language there. In John's gospel, the apostle John, who was an eyewitness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he records the words of Jesus that Jesus said in John 8 that whoever sins is a slave to sin. And when I see that, I'm like, ooh, I know I sin. Anybody with me on that? We know we're still, are we slaves then? And you got to ask that, that question because all of us then are slaves. I'm a slave. Well, thankfully, Jesus gives the remedy in that same chapter for freedom from being a slave to sin or to anything. He said that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the truth is Jesus. He is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is reality. Jesus is what life is about. He is reality. And he said, if the sun sets you free, then you're free indeed. And I want to ask all of us this morning, are we living in that true freedom that Jesus has provided for us and promises to us? I want to read the first 10 verses from Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Here's where he changes his tune a little. And he says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I looked up on the Google. You guys ever go on the Google? I went out on the Google or the DuckDuckGo, whichever one you use, and I uh, looked up the four worst prisons in the world. Had a reputation as the worst prisons in the world. In the first picture, you're going to see a, a picture. 
The, this is in Maracaibo, Venezuela. It's called the Sabaneta Prison. And here's the unique thing about this prison. The inmates are in charge. There's, there's no guards or any of that. They're just shoved into this place, and it's kind of like anything goes. No accountability within that prison. I don't think you want to go to that prison. Like that, that doesn't sound like fun. And I got to thinking as a metaphor, this prison represents for us when, how many know that when there's, you don't have accountability or self-control or self-government in your life, you can make a mess of your life pretty quick, right? You with me, tracking. And uh, so I got to thinking, my first point is, how do I get set free from the prison of self? How do I get free from the prison of self? You can put that, yeah, there you go. If you're taking notes, you can put, put in that fill in there. Learning to not be selfish takes a lifetime, right? I mean, you don't have to, you know, as soon as you have a toddler, you realize that they think life is all about them, except for Jolene, but she'll be the exception. <laughs> but the rest of you, no, I'm kidding, but the w- selfishness comes natural to us as people. Unselfishness takes a lifetime to learn and to move away from self-centered life to a life that's unselfish. And when, we, when we're in charge of our lives, so to speak, we're calling the shots, then there's no self-control, there's no, no wisdom. And again, we can do some dumb stuff. So we need an accountability that goes beyond ourselves. And that accountability is Jesus, an accountability to him, who he is, what he's done, and how he tells us how to live. So how do I get set free from the prison of self? I choose to come under the authority of Jesus Christ. I allow him to be the authority in my life. Um, People were questioning Paul's authority as an apostle. And those Judaizers would come in behind uh, Paul's teaching and planting of churches and say, uh, Paul's not really an apostle. He didn't walk with Jesus for three years. And they, they were questioning his authority. But we saw in the first two verses, he said this, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. The Apostle Paul is an amazing story. If you're not familiar with Scripture, you're not familiar, um, you know, you're new to this whole thing. In the book of Acts, the book of Acts follows the four Gospels, and it's the history of the early church and what happened after Jesus went back to heaven. And in Acts chapter 9, we see this guy named Saul, Saul of Tarsus. In the chapters preceding that, he was persecuting Christians, killing them. He was a literally a religious terrorist, and he thought he was doing his God a favor by eliminating Christians. And in Acts chapter 9, it's just like Jesus to transform somebody who's at enmity with him and make him the, the apostle of love, the apostle that was going to be the mouthpiece to spread the good news of Jesus to the known world. And that's what Jesus did with the Apostle Paul. And so we don't make Jesus Savior or Lord. 
Sometimes we use that language in the evangelical world. Have you made Jesus your Lord and Savior? We don't make him Lord and Savior. He's already that. We agree with him. We agree with him and we confess, as Brian said earlier, we confess you are Savior. You are the Lord. You are the authority. And we come under his authority. When we talk about the authority of Jesus, there's a passage in the first chapter of Colossians, another letter written to a church uh, by the Apostle Paul. Listen to the authority of Jesus. This is who we're talking about when we talk about the name of Jesus. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which, he is, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. He's kind of a big deal. Like, everything's about him. So my encouragement to all of us is settle the authority issue. Our young people in this room or that are watching, settle the authority issue that that you're going to let Jesus call the shots in your life. You're going to pay attention to how he says to live because he has your best interests at heart. And if we see him as the authority, we're going to walk in the kind of life that's full and free and in true freedom. It's The question is always, who am I going to build my life on? What am I going to build my life on? Jesus is always going to lead us into freedom and into a life of love and humility and to express love and and sacrifice. I experienced the authority of the name of Jesus several times in my life, but in particular, I thought about a time when I was a youth pastor and me and myself and one of my uh, youth leaders, we went up to the Pearl Street Mall in Boulder. And we were going to do this kind of man-on-the-street interview and film, um, like what do people believe about God? What do they believe about heaven and eternity and so forth? And we interviewed numerous people, 10, 15 people. And the last guy that we interviewed, he, he was a different cat, I'll just be honest with you. But he sat down on a bench, and I was kind of tired at this point, and I had this big old, you know, in the 90s microphone, you know, kind of deal. And I, uh, I just asked him questions and let him talk, and he was sitting, and I was standing, and finally I just, he just kept going on and on about philosophizing. And I go, um, who's Jesus Christ? And he stood up, and He looked me in the eye, and his eyes changed before my eyes. And he goes, this conversation is over. 
I was like, okay. He had told me earlier that he was nervous and jittery because he had some chicken broth that day, and chickens are nervous animals, and he had taken on the, the nervousness of that chicken. I was like, okay. So he walked off, and I thought, whoa. I just uttered the name of Jesus, and whatever was going on inside of him did not like that name, and he, he walked away. But here's the, the thing about the one who holds all authority. He's humble. Do you know our God, our Jesus is a humble God, and he's gentle, and he's good. He can be trusted. When you come under the authority of Jesus, you're saying, I trust you. I trust you as I walk out my life. I'm going to walk it out in your ways and in your principles. He, as we read during worship, come to me, he said, all you who are weary heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'm good. I'm gentle. I'm humble. The next prison that is um, the picture that's going to come up, that's Rikers Island in New York City, outside of New York City. The unique part of this prison is that it's the type of prison where systematic abuse by the correctional officers to keep these guys in line and to drive out their criminal past or whatever. And as I was thinking about that and the metaphor that I wanted to use for that is shame is a prison in itself, but shame is also like an abusive correctional officer, always pointing out your past, your faults, where you, you don't measure up, et cetera, et cetera. And it's always doing that to us. God does not want us to walk in shame. So my second question is, how do I get free from the prison of guilt and shame? How do, I, how do we get set free from that? Well, it's pretty simple, but it's, it's, it's hard to, to understand if we don't take it by faith. But I, I trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the remedy, the antidote to guilt and shame is trust what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection, and that he, he overcame for us. Paul said in verses three through five, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of God, to the will of our God and Father, to him be glory forever. Amen. Who doesn't love movies and stories about great rescue missions? When someone goes in to, to uh, release prisoners or slaves or something, that you go in and that mission was successful, where these people who were enchained or enslaved or being you know, beaten or brainwashed, and they get set free, man, I love those kinds of movies and stories. Jesus came on the ultimate rescue mission. He said the reason he came was to seek and save the lost, to seek and save that which is lost. That's me. He came to seek me. He came to seek you and to rescue us from our three main enemies. Our three main enemies is sin, death, and the evil one. And he rescued us by nailing sin to the cross And he defeated death by rising from the dead, by dying and rising from the dead. 
and he stripped the authority and powers of the evil, unseen world in the devil. He took that authority away. Romans 8, chapter 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Condemnation is a pronouncement of guilt awaiting punishment or a sentence. He says there's no guilt or an awaiting punishment for those that are in Christ. No condemnation. I mean, no, that's really good news. (laughs) That is the best news we can hear. The gospel is not about what I do, but about what he did. The gospel is everything about what he did. We can't add to the finished work of Jesus by our good words, works, good deeds, and we can't subtract from it in our failures. He did what he did, and it's a done deal. On the cross, he said, it is, a, it is finished. It's not about achieving, but about receiving. All right, third prison. This is called the Bangkok Prison in Bangkok, Thailand. And as you can see, the, the unique part of this prison is all the prisoners are shackled at their, in, on their legs so that they can't move very fast or get around, or escape, or whatever. And I thought about this prison as a metaphor for false beliefs, that we get false beliefs about God, ourselves, others. We begin to believe things and and misinterpret Scripture, and misinterpret the gospel, and misinterpret uh, the love of God, the goodness of God. And we, we, we paint our own image of God. We paint our own picture that's not true. And for anybody that's wondering what God is like, look at the life of Jesus. He is what God the Father is like. He's good. He's gentle. He's humble. God is love. Love is not an attribute of God. It's his very nature. It's who he is. So how do we, well, first be remembering that Paul was dealing with these Judaizers and they were sowing this, you know, bad ideas about what it meant to follow Jesus in the law and legalism and all that stuff. And Paul's saying, no, it's not about that. So how do I get set free from the prison of false beliefs? How do we get set free from that? Well, I reject false gospels. We have to learn to reject false gospels. A false gospel is when we add to the real gospel. We dilute it with Jesus plus something. We try to subtract from its power. He said, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, a curse be on him. Strong language from the Apostle Paul. Rejecting false gospels means you and I need to be immersed in the real gospel. We need to be immersed in the love of God, the goodness of God, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, the real and pure gospel. People who study counterfeit money and can spot counterfeits, they don't study counterfeit money, they study the real money. So that when a counterfeit 
shows up, a counterfeit bill, they spot it right away as a counterfeit uh, dollar bill or hundred dollar bill or whatever it is. A, a, a counterfeit gospel is a different Jesus. It's a different hope. It's Jesus plus something. But the pure gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's, that's the true gospel. Um, last Saturday, uh, I had a, a honeydew list from Janelle. You ever get those? And uh, I'm not the most handy of people around the house and honeydew lists, but this one I was going to take on. I had to take out two bushes in our front area that she wanted removed. So I took my shovel. I didn't know how I was going to do this. I took my shovel, and the first one popped out, no, no problem, just roots and everything. The next one was a lot bigger, and the root system went a lot deeper, and, and the, there was so much to cut. And I couldn't get through with the spade. And Janelle came out and I told, I told her, I said, I'm not sure I'm going to get this one out. And she goes, well, I bought a saw, an electric saw. Maybe that'll work. And uh, because it's her toolbox, it's not mine. She's, I, I'm borrowing tools from my wife. She actually asked for a miter saw one Christmas. I'm like, you're the bomb. I can do the grunt work. I have no problem with that. I'm just not super handy with tools. And... Uh, so I start cutting away, seeing this thing work really good. And the thought hit me about what Paul was dealing with the Galatian church and the Judaizers. Is, so Janelle gives me this saw that works great. And she goes back in the house. This is fiction here. This didn't happen. This is my illustration. But she, and then let's say she comes back out a few minutes later. And she sees the saw sitting on the ground. And she sees me trying to cut these roots with a butter knife. And I'm over here, gosh, this won't work. Well, there's a saw you were just using. So she comes out and goes, what are you doing? Like, why is the saw sitting there? And I'm sitting there all dumb holding my butter knife. And she goes, what are you doing? And I say, well, the neighbor, he came over and he told me I was doing it wrong. The saw wasn't the way to do it. This butter knife is how you get this thing done. And I believed him. And she's going to be, you know, like, wake up, man. Like, what are you doing? She wouldn't really do that to me. But you would, she would think that that is foolishness. That's what Paul's trying to say here, guys. You're foolish. He later say, says that in the book. He says, how foolish you are. Who's bewitched you? Why are you using a butter knife when I gave you a saw? That's when we go to the prison of false beliefs and we get our eyes off of the true Jesus and we start having all these funky teachings and things, man, that's when we're, we're holding a butter knife. If you're trying to be right with God by how you, your do's and don'ts and your lists, you're never going to make it. You're right with God because of Jesus and what he's done and you agree with him in that. So important. All right. Our last prison. This is... Retak Island, and it's in the, looks like the tropics of Russia there. <laughs> Thank you, I'll be here all week. Um, in, the unique part about this prison is they do intentional mental torturing of, and brainwashing of the people that go to this prison. In, in reading Paul's first 
10 verses in Galatians 1, the metaphor I saw here is how people are tortured by people-pleasing and approval addiction. People-pleasing is when you change your behavior, you do something against your own will or desire to make somebody else happy. That's, that's the definition of people-pleasing. Approval addiction is you find your identity in, in, in people approving of who you are, approving of what you do and, and don't do. And they're, they're cousins, but they're not the exact same thing. People-pleasing is, you know, another word for codependency. You change your behavior so that you don't maybe set off somebody else's behavior, so you tiptoe around things. That's, that's people-pleasing. So... Last question, how do I get set free from the prison of people-pleasing? How do we get set free? If you struggle with being a people-pleaser or have approval addiction where you need somebody's approval to function in life or you're willing to skirt things in your life, do things against your will to try to make somebody happy, that's people-pleasing. Here's what you do. I choose to please God over pleasing man. If we settle that authority issue, Jesus, I'm going to walk my life. I want to please you. I want to I please you, not pleasing man. And here's the truth. Some of you have experienced this in life, that pleasing the Lord isn't always going to please people, right? When you do what Jesus asks of you, you're gonna, you might rub somebody wrong in a business deal that wants you to do something shady. And you say, no, man, I can't do that. I'm going to keep my integrity before my Lord, they're going to think you're not, not so good thoughts of you because they want money. Or it could be in a relationship where somebody's asking you to do things that you don't want to do, that you know doing those things would displease the Lord. So therefore, that person you're in a relationship is not going to be happy with you. Pleasing the Lord doesn't always equal pleasing man. But Paul said this in verse 10, for am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. People pleasing is a trap. Actually, in Proverbs 29, 25, it says, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety or the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a healthy appreciation for God's definition of what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. That's what it means to fear the Lord. Lord, you get to determine that. I, I'm not going to make that up on, on my own. So people pleasing is a trap. Like a trap is set out in the forest to catch an animal. When it steps in it, it's trapped and it can't get away. And we need to be set free from that through saying, I'm going to choose to please God. So, back to the original verse. Stand firm, he said, in the freedom that Christ has provided. Do not be enslaved anymore to the things that are trying to rob us of our freedom. And I wonder this morning, are you experiencing the freedom of Jesus? And none of us are doing it perfect. I know I, I'm not perfect. I know all my imperfections. I'm very aware of my own stuff, my issues, my sin, my tendencies. But I know I'm following the one who leads me into freedom. 
And that when I fall, he'll pick me back up. And that he'll dust me off and I keep walking with him. And today you might be dealing with some shame. You might be dealing with some guilt. Maybe over your past. Jesus isn't bringing up your past. Your sin is as far as the east is from the west. He nailed it to the cross. You might be dealing with other issues in your life that are robbing you of living in the freedom that Jesus has given us. And he wants his people to walk in freedom. He wants us to walk free. He did that for us. Will you stand with me? Lord, thank you for what you've done for us in providing the freedom and freeing us from slavery to sin and habits and shame and lists and do's and don'ts and all of that. You're a good father. You love your kids. You love us. And we love you. And today we say thank you. Thank you for the freedom. Thank you for the freedom. Can we say that together? Thank you, Jesus, for your freedom. Let's say that together. Thank you, Jesus, for your freedom. Lord, help us to live in that and help us to lead others into your freedom, into your joy, into your hope. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. Thank you for you, the Holy Spirit, and one another. Thank you for this community. Thank you for every person in this room or watching. Thank you for your grace. May we walk out of here with a fresh awareness of who you are. That we put the past in the past. We live in the present knowing that we have a bright future because of you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Um,